supporting WHYY Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? Planets are birthed from the stuff of stars. Who knew the favor could be returned as a star nears its final stages? Let's learn more on this episode of Sky Talk with Derek Pitts, chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute. Derek, we're referring to a certain type of star. What is a so-called white dwarf? The term white dwarf refers to the stage in the life cycle of what we might call normal stars as they age. A star like our sun right now is in the sort of middle portion of its life where everything is happy and comfortable. Uh, After a while, though, a few billion years, our star will swell in size as it ages to become a red giant star. And then after a little bit more time, the core will become unstable. It will blow off the outer envelope of red giant, so to speak, gases. And what we'll be left with is just the, essentially the core of our star in a stage we call a white dwarf. White because it's very, very hot and dwarf because it's so small. But its effects will be felt not only here on Earth, but extending out to the gas giants, Jupiter and Saturn. Indeed, because we're talking about an evolutionary process in which our sun becomes so much bigger, it will encompass the orbits of all of the inner planets. Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars essentially will be inside the envelope of our star as it grows to red giant size. And, of course, the outer planets will change their character as well because... Most of their material will melt away because of the increased heat just due to proximity uh, of the star as it has grown to that size. However, what will eventually happen is as it goes to white dwarf stage and blows off that outer envelope of gases, those outer planets eventually will contribute something, deposit something on the surface of those white dwarf stars that in essence will act as a signature of the existence of those gas giant planets. Is this indeed the fate of our sun? It looks as if this would be what will probably happen to our sun. Astronomers have been able to observe this particular kind of phenomenon, the signature of former gas giant planets orbiting white dwarf stars. They've been able to observe this in other places around the galaxy. So if we take that as a possible model for what could happen with gas giant planets in a solar system where the star has become a white dwarf, we could expect that this is one of the possible outcomes of what could happen here in our solar system. Is white dwarf the final geriatric stage? There is one more stage for stars like our sun. When I say stars like our sun, I mean stars about the mass of our sun. Any star that's about the mass of our sun will go through this stage where it goes through the white dwarf stage. But then over time, It will cool off, radiate away all of its energy, and become essentially a cold black cinder, a black dwarf, if you will. Have we seen evidence of any of them yet? Well, not yet. The problem with this is that it takes a long time to reach that stage. And in fact, as far as we can tell, our universe isn't quite old enough yet for that to have become the fate of any stars we've seen. Derek, it turns out a lack of coolant is causing the Spitzer Space Telescope to shut down. Indeed, it has. It's come to the end of its useful life, which uh, started about 17 years ago. 
uh, when it was launched into space to observe the heat signature of various astronomical objects around the universe. Uh, Since then, it's done a tremendous job of bringing us all kinds of fantastic information. We've been able to see dusty stellar nurseries, extrasolar planets, the centers of galaxies, and newly forming planetary systems hidden behind thick curtains of cosmic dust. A dusty, stellar nursery? That sounds like a violation of local health ordinances. (laughs) Not for our universe. As it turns out, there are enormous clouds of cosmic gas and dust all over the universe. These clouds of gas and dust often obscure our view of many other galactic objects, both stellar and nebular and galactic. If we could only somehow see through them it would help to reveal what the true nature of the universe is. And this is what Spitzer Space Telescope has done. In its search for heat signatures, it has been able to see through these clouds of gas and dust and show us what some of the objects are behind those curtains of gas. In the intervening years since Spitzer was launched 17 years back, we've done a great job of factoring out the atmospherics on Earth. Is there even a need anymore to launch space telescopes? Yeah, that's a really good question because you would think that because of those advances, like you say, we don't have to do that anymore. But as it turns out, our atmosphere is opaque to certain kinds of radiations. So, for example, gamma rays, X-rays, and in this particular instance, heat. The heat signatures from these distant objects across the universe can't make it through the water vapor that's in our atmosphere. That tends to absorb the heat signature. But there's another component to this that really makes Spitzer very, very special, and it is that that coolant that you spoke of earlier. The coolant is really important because what it does is it cools the detector within the telescope down to a temperature that's near absolute zero. That makes it possible for us to detect even the smallest or most distant or weakest heat signatures from incredible galactic distances. No coolant necessary to merely step out of doors. This week, what's available to be seen in the night sky? Make it a point to head outside around 6 p.m., where over on the western side of the sky, not only will you see brilliant Venus, but down below, closer to the horizon, particularly this week, you'll find bright Mercury. It's at its greatest height above the horizon for this particular cycle of its orbit, and you can see it if you have a clear view of the horizon, and a pair of binoculars will help you as well. But if the evening isn't working for you, Try the morning sky, where between 6.15 and 6.30 in the morning, you can catch a lineup of three planets, the brightest one of which is Jupiter. Above Jupiter and to the right, up toward what would be like the 1 o'clock position on the face of a clock, that's where you'll find Mars, smaller, dimmer, but still identifiable because of its sort of pinkish color. And then if you go down toward the 7 o'clock position, you'll find Saturn, A little yellowish in color, not as bright as Jupiter. But there's an additional piece that goes to this up beyond Mars. In the same direction, you'll find the pinkish star Antares of the constellation Sagittarius. All of them together make a nice line in the pre-dawn sky. And let's stress you're referring to the 7 o'clock position rather than the clock, which by 7 is already starting to brighten in the morning. Indeed it is. Sunrises are beginning to come earlier as we press on towards spring. We're not very far away now. And as we see those changing times, it's going to be a challenge for us to catch those planets at 6 a.m., As sunrise comes earlier and earlier, the sky is getting lighter and lighter. We'll have to back our observations up till maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. 
but we still have a couple of weeks left for that. Thanks, Derek. My pleasure, Dave. Derek Pitts, Chief Astronomer at the Franklin Institute. He joins us each week at this time on Sky Talk.